This week on The Sport Blokes. This week, we look back at some of our favourite moments of 2021. COVID chaos wreaks havoc on the NBL and NBA. Australia wins the Ashes and not sure how we feel about it. Yeah. And the passing of an icon as John Madden takes his final time out. Oh, it's good to be back, Stewie. Let's go. It's 9.18pm on Saturday, the 1st of January, 2022. That's going to be a bit weird. 2020. It's not. It's normally not till March where I start getting the year right. But anyway, we'll see. Come I on. had to check the day today as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, during holidays, it's like, what day is it? <laughs> where, where am I? What's going I on? Know. I'll be at work on Tuesday. So will you, won't Me you? Me too, so. yeah. Now, Stewie, unfortunately, Santa did not bring you what you wanted for Christmas, did he? No, I, I asked for lots and lots of runs in the ashes and instead he... <laughs> He uh, gave me the runs. I spent Christmas Day at home with one of my daughters who had gastro, and uh, yeah, she made like John Stockton and passed. Mm. Yeah. So not particularly fun. Ended up spending about three days with that. I'm still not quite back to sort of up and at him, super mega ghost, mm. but mm. it's uh, yeah, it's been a been a pretty average Christmas break. I will say. Yeah, that. no, I'm sorry to hear that, mate. But you did the right thing, and you got a COVID test, and you were negative, which I did. is good. My first COVID test, yes, actually. Yeah, right. Okay, I've had a couple. It's Bo- not fun. Both is it? nostrils. They yeah, are, ooh, yeah. 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 yeah, I know. You can feel the tip of your brain being touched mm, almost. You yeah. really can. Yeah. Really can. Yours was a little bit better, though, by the sound. Yeah, no, I had a very nice Christmas. Yeah. yeah, I got a great book from the in-laws as such. I mean, I'm not married, but they're basically in-laws. Cricket Curious Crickets by Mark Dawson. So I look forward to reading that one. I've already found that uh, there was a similar case to the Javo case. Now, I was flicking through it when you got here and I couldn't actually find it again. I, I might dig it up for a future episode. But not only uh, was there a similar thing to the Javo, but they actually bowled a ball to him. Really? Yeah, This I think it was a county game in England. Even so it wasn't so, quite the stakes. But... That's still pretty serious. Yeah, well, like... different times, eh? Hey? Wow. Different to- I mean, do you remember back in the day, kids would run onto the field and field balls during World Series True, cricket? True, yeah, and... before it got to the fence, yeah. Just different times. Yeah. yeah. No, it looks, yeah. looks like a really good raid. By the way, Stewie, that's not a good time to get sick with the weather we had. So we had a Christmas Day record here in Perth, 42.8. Then we had 43.5, which for the American audience is over 110 Fahrenheit. Then we had a 41, and then it cooled down to a nice 40.7. So we had four days in a row where it was absolutely scorching. And Scorching. all four of those nights barely got down below like 26, 27. Oh, I rem- no, I'm somewhere in the 30s, still at like 12, 1 a.m. Mm, yeah. I went to, well, this is this is how bad it was. So I didn't sleep in my bed for four nights straight. I slept in the front room, basically directly underneath the air conditioner with a block of ice on my chest. And we, we had problems with all of our air con. So there was one night, Boxing Day night, we just had the fan on. Yeah. It was... Oh, well, you're lucky, horrid. lucky the bloody power was on. Yeah, well, true. Yeah, yeah. But it's funny because yeah. it's some of it's got across to Melbourne now and I've, I've seen my Melbourne friends on Facebook sort of saying, oh, 36 degrees, this is bullshit. And I feel yeah. like saying, yeah, nah, it's not. <laughs> it's really not. That's that's a cute little cold change. Uh, 36 has been a good day the last mm. week and a half here. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. Yeah, and I forgot about the power going off. So I actually, some of my sport didn't tape while I was down south with the in-laws. Oh, so yeah, so on my what'd you miss, yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, so a little bit different. We are kind of uh, releasing a little bit later than we normally would. We did have the best of intentions, but unfortunately your health meant that we shouldn't record. And then unfortunately our backup episode had a bit issues with sound. So a little bit later than normal, but here we are. 
Here we are. Now, big changes in 2022 for the sport blokes, Shui. Yeah. Well, maybe not big. Well, no, I think, I think it's a useful change. We've decided that we wanted to try and split everything up into segments and kind of release more regularly, but smaller chunks, because we understand, obviously, with the way that we love talking so much, it's hard to keep a full episode below an hour. In fact, let's be honest, it's not it's almost It's almost impossible. And you have asked, so we are producing, because we have had people say, look, I'm only a basketball fan, or I only like this and this, but I don't like this. And so we figured that we'll, starting with Mondays, we'll release this week in sport history, we'll release a couple of segments, and then we will still release the full episode. And hopefully people will listen to the full episode. That's still what we want to produce. But I think it takes a bit of pressure off us as well, because often we have had good stuff left on the cutting room floor. We often record for an hour 45, even sometimes more than two hours and then try and get it down as close to an hour as possible. Sometimes it's an hour and a quarter. But uh, yeah, so so we might have a bit more freedom to make the episodes maybe a little bit longer, but if you're not interested in everything we talk about, you can just look at the basketball segment, for example, or maybe better to listen to rather than look at, given that mm, yeah, it's a, it would be a, an audio uh, medium. It would uh, be a pretty boring hour <laughs> of just looking at nothing. <laughs> Good times. So... We gave out our Christmas presents on our last episode. I actually feel bad. We should have given Josh Kitty a present for all the, the joy he's brought Australian basketball fans. What a start to the career he's had in the NBA. Yeah. He's, as I said earlier in the season, I thought maybe he was a decent chance of getting a an all-rookie first team. And I tell you what, he'll be hard-pressed to be pushed off that team. Oh, right? absolutely. Absolutely. And what was the present he got? Health and safety protocol. Yeah, Woo! well, yeah. Yeah, well, hopefully, hopefully he'll be on a team that's not tanking in a season or two. But, yeah, uh, but nice. great opportunity for him. And also, all the administrators, everyone involved in sport and keeping it alive during this time deserve presence as well. Because in the NBL, for example, and we'll get there shortly, it's pretty crazy. And they're constantly having to readjust schedules. And there's all sorts of the logistics that goes on to make sure these events go ahead is huge. Mm. So anyone involved... Thank you, because as sports nuts, we, we need your help. Yeah, we really do. And and as you mentioned, I mean, the ability to be proactive in this day and age is incredibly difficult. Having that ability to be reactive in such turbulent times, and this is probably as turbulent as it has been as well. Certainly so, in our lifetime, yeah. yeah so yeah. good on them. Yeah. So before we look ahead to 2022 with some New Year's resolutions, we thought we'd reflect very briefly on 2021. Now, last year, we almost gave half an episode to it I think we won't go as far into it this year but 2021 not only was it the year that NBA was the most searched term for all of Australia on Google seven out of the top 10 search terms and all of the top seven are sports related so we had NBA AFL Australia v India NRL Euro 2021 Wimbledon Olympic medal tally and then finally after that you've got COVID New South Wales Coinspot and Prince Philip Crazy. We love our sport. It is crazy. And funnily enough, the last quiz of the year, and for people that haven't listened to us before, Nathan does MC a quiz. And one of the, the questions that you asked in the last one was a multiple choice. What was the most Googled search? And I would not have put the NBA at the top of that in probably four guesses. Oh, the only reason I knew is because Google released this data pretty close to the start of December. So I've actually been sitting on this one for weeks because I mm. wanted to use it late in the year, but or what is now early in the new year. But yeah, crazy stuff. Oh, well, I never would have guessed NBA would have been. I mean, okay, the Josh Giddy effect and it is very popular, but yeah, wow. Mm. Channel 10 might want to think about getting some more free-to-air if NBA is the top searched. Crazy. Yeah, they'd be smart too. So what about 2021 did you love, Stewie? We won't talk about what we didn't love. Well, I actually wanted to look at maybe rattling off the top three sporting moments of the year. And there are so many great ones to choose from and so many that didn't make the list. But 
I think the three that I have, so I'll start off with number three, and it's the changing of the guard or the continuation of the changing in the guard in women's tennis. And I guess to a lesser extent, the men's, but more so in the women's. Nothing sums this up more than the US Open. You had the two teenagers playing off in the final, Emma Raducanu and Layla Fernandez, which was a cracking game that completely capped off a cracking tournament for both of them. They had an amazing run to the final. We're now at the stage where the last eight Grand Slams have seen seven different women's champions. Naomi Osaka is the only one who's actually had more than one since Wimbledon 2019. Oh, it's nuts. We're coming up on five years now since Serena Williams won her last Grand Slam, and it's probably not going to happen again, unfortunately. There have been 14 different women's champions since then. Wow. So Yeah, that's, that's insane. We're probably still a couple of years away from that happening in the men's, and any time Novak Djokovic is in a field, it's his to lose, you'd feel at this stage, but... The women's game has been fascinating because of that. Well, I'll, I'll piggyback off that moment, Shui, because for me, the Ash Barty Wimbledon was pretty moving and pretty special. And then I'll sneak in the Dylan Alcott win straight after that. So I watched a lot of tennis that night, but it was a great night for Australian tennis. Yeah, watching her celebrate and going back up into the rooms afterwards was... Oh, she's yeah. just so humble and it's just, yeah. She's a great sports person. Well, I love the access that they give you at Wimbledon, you know, being able to go back and see what they get up to. Because a lot of the times, as soon as they leave the court, that's it. Yeah. You don't get seen. So it is really great. That is a a really good point. Now, for number two for me, the T20 World Cup win for the Aussies in the cricket, absolutely not something I was expecting going into the tournament. No, me neither. We all know that T20 has not really been the Aussies' forte. I was having a look back at some Well, of the... we were ranked seventh or something, weren't we? I think so, yeah. yeah. And, and having a look back at the previous ones, I mean, we hadn't won a T20 individual series since the South African series around Sandpaper Gate. Oh, is that maybe where I'm getting seven from? We had lost seven in a row or something. Well, I don't know. The well, number seven sticks in my I mean, they're probably, it's yeah. probably right anyway. And our previous best was against England all the way back in the days when Mr. Cricket, Mike Hussey and that were playing. Yes. So it's a fair while ago that we'd even been in a final, I think. Exactly. And we'd just been trounced 4-1 by Bangladesh as well. Yeah, so yeah. not looking particularly great coming in. Then we get taken apart by England. I think they won that with 50 balls remaining. So an absolute pantsing in the world. Well, that, was, that was a turning point in the whole series, I think, for the Aussies. I think they changed their tactics a little bit. I think that was the loss they needed to have in order to win the tournament. Yeah, Mitch Marsh comes back in. and Yeah, well, that's yeah, right. That's know. right. But sometimes in these tournaments, all you need is a little bit of luck. And as it would happen, we definitely got a fair bit of luck. Some of the guys found form at the right time. David Warner and Mitch Marsh were scoring big runs at the back end of the tournament. You had guys like Matty Wade, Marcus Stoinis, Glenn Maxwell all putting in cameos at the right time. Adam Zampa bowling superbly well as well. Zampa, probably the bowler of the tournament Yeah, just about, just about. And then when it gets to the final, the one team that the Aussies did not want to see was England. Yep. And not, I don't want to say unexpectedly because the New Zealanders are an amazing T20 team, but... Somewhat unexpectedly, New Zealand goes and rolls them. And all of a sudden, the final is on. Australia shows up against Pakistan and you know, just bats out of their skin. And Oh, that was a great match too. Yeah. And it, yeah. And it oh, just, there were some really great matches in that tournament. And yeah. it just felt like when you got to that final against New Zealand, that whole big brother, little brother thing was going to play out again. And sure enough, it did. Yep. Well, for me, I'll have to add the Melbourne Demons, breaking a really, really long drought that extended, well, more than 50 years. Unfortunately, we didn't get to the game. We tried our best. We got to the prelim and we saw one of the absolute all-timers from Maxi Gorn. So that was definitely on my list, yeah. They kind of became 
almost like a surrogate second time. Oh, for many people. For all, well, a lot of WA. Certainly too. for WA yeah, people, yeah. yeah. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess, I mean, a lot of people were kind of looking at it the same way as the Bulldogs that took out your Swans. A few That's years right. Ago. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. A, going a team, for the underdog. Yeah. A team that hasn't won in that long. And knowing people that had lived their entire life that were in their 40s and 50s had never seen a premiership. That's tough. And of course, that young kid that um, was all over social media with the learning disability. like that. So there were some lovely stories that came out of that as well. It is a shame they didn't get to play it in their home stadium, but it kind of adds to the mystique of it all in a way, doesn't it? I mean, how many premierships have the Swans won since you started Barracking for them? Two. And the Eagles have won? Three. Four. Four. Anyway, six between us, though. How many? I just <laughs> choose to disregard one of those. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> that wouldn't be 2006 by any chance <laughs> yeah just like you regard to disregard yeah. 2005 but yeah the swans and eagles have never got to experience winning a home premiership no so no it's, oh yeah, yeah sure yeah yeah yeah. yeah yeah take what you can get yeah oh of course <laughs> yeah 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 no definitely and i think it's unanimous number one for both of us oh, of course yeah and we we're just talking about it before we hit record as well and yeah. we're not afraid to admit as blokes that we teared up the, when the karate world cup yeah <laughs> You teed up because you fucking missed yeah, it. <laughs> oh, that was so classic. That was a moment of 2021. That was the low point of 2021. <laughs> Stuart talking about Kabaddi every bloody week, and then he missed it when oh, it finally happened. No, uh, in all seriousness, though, the Boomers winning bronze. Rose at- gold, as they like to call yes, it. Yes, the rose gold medal. And that famous image of Joe Ingalls and Patty Mills embracing, like, just oh, sends shivers down your spine. Yeah. And I yeah. went back and kind of watched a little six-minute mini of the lead-up to and also the entire tournament. And then watching Andrew Gaze crying as he was talking about the blood, sweat and tears that oh, have gone into that. Yep. I mean, we obviously have gone through this together for so many years and watching the disappointment of the one-point loss to Spain in the previous Olympics, which was just bullshit. Oh, complete bullshit. Complete bullshit. But Barkley and Heal in that exhibition match, um, Australia beating USA on two different occasions. Okay, granted, not full strength, but still had a lot of NBA players playing. Yeah, just that that rich history just in the 30-odd years we've been following. Yeah. yeah, and obviously as basketball nuts for us, and like so many other people around Australia, it was just everything at the time. Oh, and thank God they actually showed four games. A far cry, as we discussed at the time, yeah. back in the day in Atlanta 96, for example, yeah. where you were lucky to get a timeout. 30 something. seconds left in the fourth quarter yeah, it's a one exactly. point game we'll, and it's a timeout and we'll go to the trampolining now <laughs> well, I don't think that was on back then Trample, but... <laughs> trampolining around Robin we'll show you a replay of the swimming uh, the, for the, the 15th time the dressage from, <laughs> yeah, yeah. from 1980 <laughs> but no cracking cracking year in sport we could have probably done a top 10 and still not done everything that made us happy last oh time. yeah well the uh, honourable mention for me obviously Giannis in the NBA finals going absolutely nuts a lot of them were basketball for me the Valley Oop uh, Stephen A. Smith's and, and uh, Michael Wilbon's reaction to the Valley Oop was pretty funny. Yeah. And then Jalen Suggs in the NCAA tournament going nuts. Unfortunately, fell at the final hurdle, but that game against UCLA was just magnificent. It was. Yeah. So, yeah, so many moments. And these, we, I mean, we only sh- kicked this around today. So, if we actually bothered to think about it harder, <laughs> I'm sure we could think of more. That's why I kicked it out today because I knew that it wouldn't take as long to come up with that. Yeah. Much. Well, I know. Yeah, and, anyway. and we knew that the Boomers would be uh, definitely number one for us. So, Nath, we move into 2022. What is your New Year's sports resolution? Oh, New Year's sports resolution. This is a tricky one for me. I think that's a couple for me. I really want to see as much of the NFL playoffs as I can. 
I've done okay this year with watching. I've done pretty well actually with watching NFL, but I, but obviously playoffs is the big time, and that's around now. So already looking forward to the Super Bowl. But the other one, I want to see more Bulls games and I want to see more Cavs games because they're two teams that are dominating in the East and I haven't really had much of a chance to watch them yet, to be honest. So, yeah, absolutely looking forward to seeing them. No, that's fair. That is very fair. What about yourself? Uh, Less toilet breaks during five setters for me. (laughs) I'll tell you what, I've got some major schadenfreude reading his tweets. Stefano Sitsipas. He's had a couple of Schadenfreuds oh, over, like, over the course of the year. Oh, it just, it's so funny. It, basically, any tweet he posts, and I've been guilty of it once myself because I couldn't help myself, there's always someone referring to the toilet breaks. Yeah, yeah. I hope that he constantly ends up as number two in the world. Well, I'll still make a lot of money that way. Oh, he might make a lot of money as number 10, but I just think him being number two would be the best. Yeah, what, doing number twos. Yeah, yeah. that's it. <laughs> He's not really doing number two. He's getting coaching from his yeah, dad. Yeah, of course he is. Yeah, yeah. Although I did see him clap back to someone on Twitter saying, oh, ask my girlfriend. She's hated my my to- toilet antics for ages. Don't believe it. Also, how does that help? Well, I think he's implying that he needs to go more often than a normal person. Ask my girlfriend. I'm still doing the wrong thing. Yeah, well, ask my girlfriend. She's on my side and is going to tell you what you want to hear. Yeah, anyway. Surprising. Mm. Yeah. All right, Nathan, as we usually do at the top, <laughs> what caught your attention and what'd you miss? Yes, we're not as close to the top as normal. Well, it's got to be the death of great NFL coach, NFL commentator and game gamesake. NFL icon. Yeah, absolutely. NFL icon. John Madden, unfortunately, passed away not long after Christmas. Just in time, though, for him to have seen the Christmas documentary that ran in the States. And I can't wait to get my hands on that one. That's definitely on my New Year's resolution list. I'd love to see that one. Absolute legend of the game i was trying to think of like the most close comparison in australia like maybe richie benno is maybe the best i could think of Ted Witten, maybe yeah like i mean obviously teddy didn't do as much commentary or Ed, i don't know if he did any actually it would have been before our time mm. but yeah it's hard it's hard it's hard to find a peer for someone who probably is peerless in yeah. in the category unto themselves greatest winning coach of all time yeah, so I actually had a quick look. I mean, percentage-wise, certainly in the NFL, league history all-time at 759. That is an incredible winning percentage. Just ahead of Vince Lombardi, you know, the guy that they named the fucking trophy yes, after. Yes, yes. And also all with the Oakland Raiders, the only coach to have won that many games, over 100 games with one team. Okay. So So then I also had a quick look at the other three big sports over in America. If you're looking at the NHL, you had Tom Johnson with a 738 from 208 games. If you look in the NBA, Phil Jackson, 704 from 1,640 games. So that's probably the most impressive one. Mm. And then Bullet Morgan in the Major League Baseball at a 698 from 368 games. So he had a better winning percentage than all of those guys. How's this? So ESPN Stats and Info on the day he passed away, he was 85, by the way. They said that he was the head coach in four of the 29 greatest players in NFL history. So if you go by the NFL's top 100 players of all time. So Immaculate Reception was number one, which we talked about in our last This Week in Sport. Also the Sea of Hands, number 17, the Holy Roller, 26, and the Ghost to the Post, 29. So not only for, I mean, it's it's just an incredible career he had. And I've got to say, he was a big part in me being an NFL fan. I learned so much from John Madden. I, I like, a lot of people will say that, the iconic duo is him with Pat Summerall. That was a little bit before my time. I remember him with Al Michaels. So that's a commentary duo that's just a bit of a happy place for me. It's a safe place. I actually want to go back and find maybe some of those older games that I didn't see because I was too young. But as I say, I learned so much. And I heard a really interesting anecdote on the Bill Simmons podcast. 
So apparently he would get civilians and show them plays in a room and he would look at their faces and notice the moment where he lost the crowd. And so he'd explain it more. And that's how he kind of refined his craft to know how to explain things on air. So he's like, okay, when I was explaining this play before, I lost people at this point. So I've got to explain a little bit more what a hitch is or a post or whatever it might be. That's a bit basic, but that's the first thing that came to mind. So yeah, I just, uh, it's, it's really sad. He did have a great innings. But an absolute legend and... And obviously the catalyst for one of the greatest games of all time. Oh, definitely, the, definitely. The Madden games, just like the, I guess, the the 2K games in the NBA, the young players are playing this on their days off. And a lot of them are like... Looking tournaments. At, looking at the, yeah, playing tournaments, looking yep. at these for, for ideas in their own games. It's, yeah. Well, it's funny you mention that. I remember a game where Brandon Stokely kind of, there was bugger all time left. And he could have run it straight in for a touchdown, but he actually wasted time by running the vertical of the end zone before going in. And he actually said that he basically learned that from playing Madden. Yeah. yeah. So, I, so, actually, I actually watched that like two days ago. He took like six seconds off. Yeah, well, I watched that game live, funnily <laughs> enough, back in the day. And it's just a case of life imitating art. I think video games are art. You can classify them that. So yeah, this is a great tweet from Cousin Cell. John Madden is the reason every 13-year-old boy is better at time management than Mike McCarthy. <laughs> <laughs> and again, you did learn time management from that computer game. So, yeah, just oh, uh, what a legend he was. Classic. I might finish on this. Self-praise is for losers. Be a winner. Stand for something. Always have class and be humble. Great words to live by. He definitely lived by them himself. R.I.P. John Madden. And also R.I.P. Betty White, falling one short of the century. And Sam Jones of the Boston Celtics. Oh, yes. Yeah. Was well, that what caught your attention? Stuart? 88. Well, a couple of things. I mean, mine are thankfully a little bit more bright and upbeat. Um, although I will start with one that kind of caught my attention from the Chinese international football. Uh, this has just blown my mind. So players for the Chinese national team in the soccer have actually been asked to remove any existing tattoos and are strictly prohibited from getting any new tattoos because of what's being called, quote, the Communist Party's purity drive. Right. I am really worried about what the hell is going on in China. Yeah. Yeah. It's... Without being too political. Yeah, but, I know. Yeah, I don't know what to say. Like, remove your tattoos. I mean, yeah. it's not like a Band-Aid. That takes a lot. Still going to be really interesting to see what happens with the Winter Olympics. Yeah. Really interesting. Yeah, there yeah. really will be. So yeah, that was a little bit of a weird one that I saw the other day. Really quickly before I get into the main one, though, I saw an article on Roger Federer the other day and it included a photo of him playing doubles at the Hopman Cup in 2002 with a lady by the name of Miroslava Vavronek. Now, if you've never heard of her, she goes by the name of Mirka Federer today. Did you know that his wife was a former professional player? I did, actually. I actually did not know that. But it's funny. Her name rings a bell. Yeah. I, I, did. I did know that. And I think she decided to give it away when they got married or maybe after they had their first kid, she gave it away. Well, yeah, because yeah, she, she yeah. could see how bloody good he was. Yeah, so they played together at the Hotman Cup. That's yeah. pretty cool. I, I didn't yeah. know that she was actually a former professional player. She bagged herself the goat and good on her. Yeah, yep. But what caught my attention goes all the way back to last Wednesday and something utterly brilliant on Twitter. Okay. So Emma Raducanu, she's had a, a really great last few months. Pretty obvious. I mean, she won a yes. Grand Slam. She's yes. making millions in a very good second half of the year, definitely. But she managed to take out Britain's Sport Personality of the Year Award. Oh, yes, I saw this. Yes. This is bizarre. Brilliant. Oh. So unfortunately, former Liverpool striker Michael Owen decided to respond with a message that read, quote, congratulations to Emma Raducanu, who thoroughly deserves to be crowned Sports Personality of the Year 2021. Makes me feel very old that she's the same age as I was way back in 1998. 
And he accompanied that with a picture of him holding the award way back in 1998. Yeah. Twitter did not let him off. No, (laughs) narcissistic much. He was hit with thousands of replies from people trying to be like Mike and make it about themselves. Yeah, I was so good. It was so good. So I've, <laughs> I've kind of come up with, and there, there uh, were a lot of them. That there was a sea of them. Had me pissing myself. Oh, out. yeah, yeah. But I've come up with a short list of five that just absolutely tickled me the right way. And I scrolled through it. I didn't even get to the bottom of the list. That many people replied. Yeah. Like I sat there scrolling through it for a while. I think I was on a lunch break or something. Oh, that was hilarious. So I'll hit you with my top five. First one, at Tom from Raw. Well done, Emma. Here's a pic of me at your age off my chops at a happy hardcore rave in Milton Keynes. I didn't win anything, but probably felt similar joy to you, albeit it quickly wore off. And whereas you'll probably feel good for a couple of days, by Monday, I wanted to die. (laughs) At Gary Oldblood. This was a crime watch portrait of me back in 1998 when I robbed a Bradford and Binley building society. (laughs) I still look like a more handsome version of John Nettles. (laughs) I didn't see that one. Oh, that's gold. At thinking underscore man C, congratulations, Emma. Here is a picture of me on a horse in 2002. He got colic a month after this and we had to put him down. (laughs) (laughs) At Greg Hurst, congratulations, Emma. Here's a picture of me interfering with myself in the corner of my granny's living room in 1982, dressed as KD Lang. Oh, no. And my absolute favourite, at watch ratio, congratulations, Emma. This is a picture of me doing a COVID test a minute ago. And for context, there's a very blurry but still obvious image of two men on a TV screen behind the COVID test engaging in sodomy. Yes. Oh, <laughs> it, was, it was just... Oh, it certainly did attract a range of bizarre <laughs> responses. But Michael Owen, you're a bloody idiot for making it all about you over 20 years ago. My God. Although, given his recent track record, still a lot better than him aggressively asking her to send nudes. Yes, true. Yes. Yes. Hasn't ingratiated himself well, has he? No, he has not. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure there would have been Twitter responses about that too. Oh, obviously. Yeah. I mean, Jesus Christ. Man. Yeah. Mm. Ah, dear. What'd you miss, mate? Well, I missed the NBL not being on, really, when you consider the fact that we were expecting a reasonable slate of games over the Christmas New Year period, and we had five games in the last, what, 10 days? Well, we've had two rounds of two games each round. Yeah. So, yeah. Been absolutely crazy. Yeah. So we'll get into that more shortly. We'll discuss the COVID situation in depth, but it is a really weird time right now. It is. It is. And in that vein, that's what I missed. I missed the Wildcats. And until you messaged me yesterday talking about the shitty first quarter, I had no idea it was on. I just assumed it had been postponed stupidly. So thanks for the message. It's all right. Another good win. Caught it just after we were down, what, like 30? 17 nothing. 30, 30 Yeah. It's looking like bloody Sydney and uh, yeah, Melbourne, Melbourne United yeah, for a yeah, while there. Yep. Yep. Oh, dear. And now, what made Stu say bloody hell? Well, the bloody hell this week takes us to the world of Mexican Pacific League baseball and a matchup between Mazlatan and Mayos de Navajoa. Now, most of us who have attended a sporting match at some point in our life have yelled out or at least uttered the phrase, come on, umpire, are you blind? Well, in the case of Humberto Saiz, he actually was blind. (laughs) Blind drunk anyway. Ah, there you go. Saiz has obviously had a couple too many before turning up to the game to act as the third base umpire and was quite unstable on his feet, at one point even flipping off the crowd as they got on his back. It took some time, but he was eventually ejected from the game and hauled off by police and is now waiting to hear if he'll be charged. Oh, dear. Oh, dear indeed. So for only needing one strike to be thrown out (laughs) to Humberto Saiz, all I can say is, Infierno sangriento. 
Bloody hell. Bloody hell. Oh, Stewie, the Ashes have been won already. What a weird series it's already been. This sums it up for me. I, I think a lot of my notes are just weird Twitter observations. I think about 90% of what I've got is the oh, same. How's this? Steve Smith was stuck in an elevator for nearly an hour the other day. 55 minutes. <laughs> it was a funny video he posted. I can, see, posted. I can yeah. see where this is going. Oh, so how's this? So at Hypercourse said, Joe Root was the only English player to bat for longer than the time Steve Smith was trapped in an elevator. <laughs> During England's 68 all out at the MCG. Oh my God, that is amazing. And there's just plenty more where that came from. Isn't I, there? I thought you were going to say that's about how long they lasted on the second morning, basically. Oh, well, yeah, but that too, basically. Mm. And like my girlfriend and I had the best of intentions. We were going to sort through some old boxes that we just haven't looked at since we moved. It was all over before we got out of bed. So this is exactly the same as when Australia rolled India for 36. I'm sitting there thinking, Nath, you're going to be missing this. Well, I was kind of, but it's because we were house hunting. Mm. Yeah, I, yeah, I saw the end of it. We saw it at the pub after we, funnily enough, looked at the house we are now sitting yeah. in at this very moment. I remember that. Yeah, well, yeah. I messaged you, I'm like, no, if you better be watching. Uh, yeah, and is, I caught the tail end, Hazelwood is, bowling hand grenades. It's getting yeah. crazy. Yeah. So Australia, 267, defeats England, 185 and 68 by an innings and 14 runs. They did flirt with us a little bit for a portion of day two, though, didn't they? They've put up a few little efforts here and there, but it's just not been enough. Not enough. I honestly let myself think for a second as Jimmy Anderson kind of ripped through the Aussies batting lineup. We might actually have a bit of a game on our hands. And it was that old thing where you can't really judge a pitch until both sides have batted. Yeah. Yeah. But no single line summed this up better than the only positives were the COVID tests. Yes, yeah, there was a lot of that all over social media. Yeah. Yeah. And I also saw another couple that kind of sum it up well. Australia retains the urn inside 12 days. England spent longer quarantining on the Gold Coast. Yes, I saw that one too. And this match took less time than the Sydney to Hobart yacht race. Oh, ouch. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It was a particularly slow Sydney to Hobart. Yes, but yeah. Oh, it was a bad year for English cricket. How's this Mark Gottlieb? A record 54 English ducks in 2021. Do you know who stopped them setting the record though? It was a Bradman-esque flick off the pads from Jimmy Anderson. Ah, okay. So he was the last chance they could have yeah, got for okay. 55. There you go. So there, there you, you go. go. Yeah. It, it was a weird match, though. It was one of those ones that really... I mean, day one, you knew it wasn't going to be a particularly high-scoring match. You see them come in, have a look at the pitch. There's just greenery everywhere. It was basically... Yeah, yeah. An unusually green MCG pitch. Yeah, like yeah. playing in a frigging nursery. Yeah. So you sort of thought, right, whoever wins this is going to have a bowl which is very unusual. Wasn't it the first time we've won a toss and bowled in Australia in 20 plus years? Probably, A long, long Um, time. Probably a very, very long time. And boy, didn't Scott Boland enjoy it. Well, he did. And it was a a really weird one though, because in the first match, and I suppose we should get straight into Scotty Boland. There's there's one of the, like you could talk about all the stupid decisions that the players made. Joss Butler threw his wicket away in the first innings. Johnny Bairstow, you thought he might dig in, didn't happen, blah, blah, blah. But absolutely, it is the story of Scott Michael Boland. Closer to 33 than 32. You thought he might never have a chance, despite probably being the best Sheffield Shield bowler over the last four years. And halfway through the first innings, I was watching with the old man on Boxing Day, and I said to him, the way Boland is bowling right now reminds me of Jai Richardson in the last test. Yeah, basically, yeah. Really great line and length, no luck in the first innings. And I said to him, I said, watch him come out and take a five for in the second dig. 
I was close. Well, I can't remember who it was, but they used their 2020 template to show his bowling figures because he only needed four overs. There you go. Yeah. Six for. Yeah. It's insane. Oh, eh? it's absolutely insane. Six for seven. And according to the legendary Sir Swamp Thing on Twitter, the fewest runs conceded with a six-plus wicket haul on debut, also the equal fourth fewest ever in a five-wicket haul. It seems like we've been saying the same thing all series. It was just as simple as pitching the ball up you put enough balls in the right areas or just outside the top of off stump, the Knicks will come. Yep, make them, make them have to second-guess their shots. And they did. Yep, yep, positive bowling. It's what England should have done in the second test. Yeah, it just it didn't make any sense that they refused to adjust that line and length. I mean, it was a little bit better, this test, but still nowhere near good enough. But it, honestly, one of the top stories of the year for me, he comes in, he dominates, he takes out the Malar medal, and when you consider that Boland actually went back to the UK three years ago to that retrace, walk about wickets thing, yeah, yeah to yeah. retrace the steps of this yeah. team, yeah. this 1868 Aboriginal eleven, the first ever Aussie sporting team to tour internationally, bloody fascinating story on its own. We could actually do an entire episode. Yeah, well, maybe we should. Just looking at that, yeah. there yep. was one of the guys actually died on the tour. Wow, I didn't know that. They went over in May and he died in June. Wow, and they kept going. Yeah, right. So yeah. They had some, yeah, some cracking players. I mean, Malar was absolutely head and shoulders above everyone else. He was phenomenal. They said he was the best batsman and, and one of the best bowlers as well right, that, right. That, that they ever faced. So, yeah, just superb. But interestingly, I saw a tweet from John Casey. Mick Malone took five for 63 on Ash's debut in 1977 and never played another test. Mm. I don't think there's any danger that Boland won't get another gig. Even, no, he even, should in this series. Even if he's just an MCG specialist for yeah, the rest of his but career. There's, there's enough kind of doubt over certain play. Like uh, Cummins had his little thing and then Hazelwood's a bit underdone. And yeah. But the last Indigenous man to for Australia won Jason Gillespie. I know. After Probably 200. I know. thought he wasn't going to lose I know, his spot. I know. It's funny, so it? yeah. you just never know. You yep. just never know. One of the interesting things I did see, there were a couple of times when English batters were a little bit slow in getting out to the middle, kind of to the point where you wondered, are we going to see the first ever timed out in the oh, test? Oh, that would have like, been awesome. Like it was pretty damn close a couple of times. Hannah Mouncey absolutely won Twitter though. She posted, Ben Stokes took longer to come out than I did. <laughs> I, the oh, amount dear. of applause on that was oh. just oh, superb. <laughs> So for England, the year 2021 was, I guess, a contrast between Joe Root's amazing feats and just the woeful test team in general. Otherwise, yeah. yeah. So I mentioned that stat about the Ducks. How's this? As a country in the test arena, thank you to Dave Tickner, Tickers Cricket, by February 6th, Joe Root had already scored over 100 more runs than any other English player would score for the rest of the year. Yep. And I showed you that pie chart of English runs in 2021. You definitely want the Joe Root piece. Oh, the Joe Root piece is the slice to have. And by the way, extras. Yep. Extras are pretty high up there. Yeah. So so we'll, we'll talk a little bit about this. So Joe Root compiled 1,708 runs, the third most in a calendar year ever. For context, I will say this, he played 10 more innings than both Muhammad Yusuf and Viv Richards, who sit one and two. Second best was Rory Burns on 530, so 1,178 runs behind Joe Root. First time a test cricketer has been outscored in second place by more than 1,000 runs. Oh, it's, it's crazy. And as you said, in third place was Extras with 412. Yep. Extras. Yep. If only he was available. For yeah, the and COVID protocols currently. Yeah. 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 So England finished with just four wins from 15 tests and a record equaling nine losses for the year. That is an all-time record they now share with the 2003 Bangladesh side. Mm. 
class. I got to say though, talking about leaving Giddy off the nice list, we, we left England off the nice list. It wasn't easy to come over here during COVID times with all the quarantine and all the pretty strict Australian borders and all that sort of thing. Hats off to them for even coming. It's got to be said. Have they? Have they arrived? <laughs> come on. We've Joe got... Root has. No, look, so far though, the, the best thing that I've seen that sums up the whole series is surprisingly a video from Sportsbet. And I absolutely usually despise it because I'm not- Oh, a... they do do some good ads. They, they do. Yeah. But they've taken this scene from Ferris Bueller's Day Off where they're in the museum, they're looking at the paintings. But instead of paintings, it's pictures of all the stuff that's happened to England in the series so far. So the the famous scene that a lot of people will remember is the three main characters standing in front of three pictures. I think it's the Chicago Modern Art Museum or the Guggenheim or something. Yeah, uh, I think think you might remember the first one, yeah. So the three pictures they've got are Joss Butler dropping Labashane, then on his knees, and then him stepping onto his stumps. Yeah, trotting on his stumps. The next scene has a picture of Rory Burns getting bowled by Mitchell Stark and then Jack Leach leaving the straight one. Then a close-up of Joe Root getting hit in the balls. And you know the scene where Cameron, played by Alan Ruck, is staring at that painting of a little girl and it keeps zooming in further and further on her face? Yeah, it's a close-up. One of those oversteps. Yeah, Ben Stokes' yeah. snowball that led to a wicket as yeah. he continues to zoom in on One of on many front. oversteps for the Poms. It was, it was not good. So, you know, the aftermath of it is it's really hard. I mean, there's no right answer for England right now except for just get through however many days it takes to get through the fourth and the fifth test and then just get home. Two questions. Hmm. Should Australia play some of the young A kind of guys? Swepson, yes. I can see an argument for bowling. Yeah, that's an interesting one because he has a really bad record at the SCG, but it's a traditionally turning wicket and we're going to the subcontinent. So I do think we should get some mileage in. I'm I'm okay with that. Absolutely. Uh, There's there's a couple of others. I mean, I've, I've seen like, Inglis's name. Inglis's name is popping up again. I don't think the way that he's batting right now. I mean, he's had three consecutive. I know T20 is different to tests, but he's had three consecutive T20s in the Big Bash where he's been out for a duck or one or two. So he's not in great form right now. That leads into my next question. Thank you for that. How much of the woes in test cricket can be attributed to the T20? And all over Twitter, there's a lot of talk about the 100 too. I mean, certainly, yeah, for England, you could look at that and say this is a a big problem. I mean, guys that should be very, very good test batsmen like Joss Butler, like a, a, well, not so much a Ben Stokes, but like a Johnny Bairstow, these sorts of guys who should be absolutely dominating. They should be similar to Ian Bell. Stokes likes the poise to dig in, I find. I think he, he just doesn't have the patience. I mean, look, it's a hard game to stay out there for long periods of time, but... I don't know. I keep talking about the death by a thousand cuts to test cricket. Like the old joke used to be, oh, if you have a day five ticket, it's now like if you have a day three ticket. Well, I mean, that's that's not good. That is not good. Well, I mean, we can kind of even sum this up even further. So Ben Stokes, as you mentioned, he had a horrible, horrible series so far. Four wickets, an average of less than 17 with the bat in six innings. Mitchell Stark has batted four times and has more runs than him. And in fact, thanks to a couple of not outs, has an average in this series higher than any Englishman. Yeah, well, he's had a good series, yeah. So you kind of rub that salt into the wound a little bit more and you look at it and you go, well, actually Stark moved ahead of Stokes in the ICC all-rounder rankings as well. So... Labashane at the top of the run scoring too. That's not great. But, and I know you could look at it and go, well, it's a pretty small sample size for Stark. Go back a bit further. Since January 2019, Stark has a better test average than Rory Burns, Ollie Pope, Joss Butler, Zach Crawley, Johnny Bairstow, and Haseeb Hamid. Well, Zach Crawley got brought into the team on the back of what? 100 form? Nothing. Yeah. Yeah. It was just desperation. It was, they were out of hiding to nothing. They thought, let's, let's just give him a chance to see how he goes. And 
of course it was going to happen. But you, you're right. I mean, it's a, it's a good question. The short-form stuff that England have focused on and been very successful at, let's be fair, absolutely has ruined what has been a pretty decent test team for a number of years. And let's zoom out even further. Now, we haven't talked much and we won't talk much about the South Africans and Indians playing in their Boxing Day test. But I saw a tweet from Ben Wisden. So on Boxing Day, I think it was, he said there's been a combined score of 125 for 17 across the two test matches today. Wow. 17 for 125. Yeah, that's pretty bad. It's damning. Well, it's I, damning. I can take that another step as well. And again, I before anyone says it, yes, I know 2017 was an absolute road. But after day three of the Boxing Day test in 2017, Alistair Cook was none for 244 himself. After day three of the Boxing Day test this year, England were 20 for 253. Oh, ouch. Now, as I said, absolute road in 2017, grass top this year. And Cook was at the height of his powers. But still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Like, gee whiz, it, it, it's horrible reading. And there's no right or wrong answer. I just, I feel like every single test England have got their lineups wrong. Leaving Broad out in the first test, leaving Mark Wood out in the second test. Would Having they, bad tactics in the second test. Yeah. Would, would these have made a difference to the results? Probably not. But I don't know. It, that second test, oh, the, I don't think it was as bad as the way it looked on the score. If they'd actually played positive cricket. The, the tactics, yes. But I'm saying like leaving guys. But yeah, well, the selection just compounds it. It, it well, absolutely does. vice versa. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So look, an absolutely horrible, horrible series so far for the for the Poms. And uh, there's not many Australians who feel too sorry for them. There have been a couple that have said they actually feel bad for them. Oh, look, side. you want to see a competition. You do. But uh, this is too much. I, I want to see a bit more fight. It would have been fun seeing Joffrey Archer coming steaming in. Yeah. Yep. So we're, I think everyone's already looking forward to the next one in 2023. Yep. Well, they tend to Which be more competitive. Is next year. <laughs> Yes. Well, that's the other side of the. You know how the ashes. There's a shorter break when yeah, yeah when it flips. But no, it's uh, it, well, it's just because it's 2022 now. So yes. Well, that's right. It's that's very, very exciting. Can I? While we're on the doom and gloom, because I know we'll talk about the T20 really quickly. I saw this tweet from Iceland Cricket a couple of days ago. The best thing about cricket is the way in which associate member nations are given great opportunities to play in major ICC tournaments and chances to develop by playing frequent T20s and ODIs against elite teams. Said absolutely nobody ever. Uh, Iceland getting into the absolutely nobody ever. But then someone said, has this account been hacked? And then Iceland say, no, it's always like this. We are a national cricket board with a difference. As outsiders looking in, we laugh in the face of cricket's many absurdities and inequalities while contributing to the growth of the game in the Arctic in a professional manner. As someone who's been to Iceland, I would love, love to see a cricket ground in Iceland. That would probably be one of the most picturesque places in the world. Isn't their population's only like 300,000? Yeah, it's tiny. Yeah. It is tiny. They've, they've got a jail in the middle of Reykjavik that I don't think they've used. There's not even a fence around it. Yeah, right. It's basically like just public housing. Wow. It's crazy. We've probably got to round this out with the most serious issue of the entire test. The issue with the beer. Ah, yes, the beer. So some blokes have been kicked out for sculling their beers. How pathetic and un-Australian is that? <laughs> now, Times certainly have changed. We know how bad the Wacker, the fun police were at the Wacker in the late days. So according to the Victorian police, quote, sculling of alcohol is associated with intoxication and disruptive behaviour, which can lead to other public order issues. We have a strong focus on the responsible consumption of alcohol to ensure all patrons are able to enjoy the cricket safely. 
okay, I, I kind of get that. I get that too, but there's got to be a middle ground. You don't kick them out. You just say, come on, boys, maybe... Calm it down. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, you're in an area. But the, the videos that I saw were... There was one guy in particular. He didn't look like he was drunk. He looked like he was just having a good time. Yep. Well, and, it's watered down mid-strength anyway. And he's it? he's basically sculled a couple in a row and got ejected. And you just think to yourself, well, hang on a second. A guy at the SCG got booted at the start of last year for drinking his beer too slowly. Which, yeah, with which, the masks. Yeah, which yeah. one is it? Yeah, I know. Pick one. I know. You just yeah, I don't I don't understand. Yeah. It, it was just guys having a bit of fun at the cricket. Melbourne's been in lockdown for two years. Let him have some fun. Absolutely. Yeah. So, heavy hand. Yeah. Heavy hand. <laughs> By the way, good to see Scott Boland sent down to a field near Bay 13 when he bowled so oh, well. Superb. Classy captaining from Paddy Cummins there. Very, very Love good. Love that effort. Just quickly going back to the beer thing, though. Did you see the tweet that Matthew Richardson put out? Can't say I did. So he I had, see a lot of Richo in footy season. I haven't seen him pop up on my Twitter in, in summer. So he was at the G and he's basically popped out after the game was over and he actually managed to track down one of the guys who'd been kicked out. And he says to the guy, he says, oh, how'd you manage to get kicked out on mid-strength beer? And the guy turns around to him and said, you played for mid-strength teams your entire, so your entire oh, career. Wow. <laughs> and he, Richo said, all I could do was laugh and go, yep, <laughs> you're right. Oh, Richo. That's pretty rough. Trying to be a friend to this guy. Oh, and right. he's, yeah, okay. He's turned around and whooped him. Yeah. So a couple of other things in the world of cricket. Retirements, Ross Taylor. Yes. That's that's a biggie. Yeah, I mean, it is a biggie. Uh, it feels like he's been around for 25 years though, hey? It feels like he's been around forever. It would be 20. So yeah. at 37, he had a cracking career. So 7,500 test runs at 45, 8,500 ODI runs at 49. Often at first drop. Yep. 12,000 first class runs at nearly 42. Absolutely yep. brilliant. And then the other end of the spectrum is the real shocker, Quinton de Kock. Yeah. We talked about him a few weeks ago with the T20 standing for the national anthem and all kneeling and all that sort of stuff. Does this one feel a bit forced? It's, well, it, it does feel like it could be a flow on from that. 29 is awfully young to be walking away, especially when you consider his skill set. And when you consider that they're not at their strongest at the moment. So it's not like a team that guys are bashing down the door to get into. Like, they're not total shit, but they're not as strong as they were even five years ago, for example. Mm. They've lost guys like Amlar, Graham Smith. A lot of good players have retired over the last few years. So Yeah, it's it's worrying. And it it definitely, a lot of people are having the same reaction. It very much has that, well, if it uh, walks like a duck and it quacks mm. like a duck, it's definitely a decock. Mm. Mm. So mm, mm. not too sure what that's all about. but And Joe Root will be hoping he doesn't get hit in decock in the fourth test because he's copped a few. <laughs> yeah, he's copped one in the yeah. third as well. Yeah. So, yeah, look, unfortunately, not really the, the sort of ashes we were, we were hoping for. The fourth, no. fourth and the fifth, though, look, I think it was summed up really well. Uh, I think it was, might have been Michael Atherton was asked, you know, what, what are your New Year's resolutions for the English cricket team? And he said, just get to day five. Yeah, well, basically, yeah, small victories at this yeah, stage. Yeah, small goals. Yeah, it's not good. Don't really have anything on the BBL this week. Really, the only big Benny thing McDermott. is Benny McDermott. Yeah. So, first I saw player, proud father Craig as well. Uh, on Twitter. First player in the history of the BBL with back-to-back centuries. 127 off 65 against the Renegades on Wednesday. 110 off 60 against Adelaide last Monday. And then he's out for a third ball duck tonight. Oh, yeah. But very impressive by the all-rounder. Great efforts. <laughs> oh, T20s. Yeah. Oh, look, yeah. And they've had some postponements there as well, of course. Well, they had a postponement tonight because of rain. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> the COVID doesn't get you the bloody rain. Yeah, pretty Jeez, much. Is, honestly. And now, this week in sport history. 
January 2nd, 1879, Australian fast bowler Fred Spofforth dismisses three English batsmen in three balls during the third test at the MCG. If you're wondering, this isn't referred to as the Ashes, as it actually predates the Ashes by three years. It's also of note because it was Test Cricket's very first hat-trick. The origin of the term first appeared in 1858 to describe H.H. Stevenson taking three wickets with three consecutive deliveries. Fans held a collection for Stevenson and presented him with a hat bought with the proceeds to commemorate the effort, hence it being a hat-trick. There are currently 46 test hat-tricks by 42 different players, four of whom have taken multiple. Australia's Hugh Trumbull took one in 1902 at the MCG against England and another in 1904 at the MCG against also England. Australia's Jimmy Matthews is the only player to have done two in the same test match, doing so in the first and second innings of the first test against South Africa in 1912. And funnily enough, he actually dismissed Tommy Ward to complete both hat-tricks. Wazim Akram had hat-tricks in consecutive tests against Sri Lanka in 1999 one being played in Pakistan while the other in Bangladesh. And then Stuart Broad has also had two, but eh, they're not as newsworthy as some of the others we've mentioned. Not just because he's a POM. No. <laughs> <laughs> now, speaking of POMs, Englishman Morris Alom, Kiwi Peter Petherick, and Aussie Damien Fleming are the only three to do so on debut. And Aussie Peter Siddle is the only man with a hat-trick on his birthday. Indian Irfan Patan is the only player with a hat-trick in the first over of a test. And Bangladeshi off-spinner Sohag Ghazi is the only player to score a century and take a hat-trick in the same test match, doing so against New Zealand in 2013. But the most unusual definitely belongs to Mervyn Hughes, who took his hat-trick across three different overs against the West Indies. Yes, that's right, three overs. He took the first wicket of Kirtley Ambrose with the final ball of an over, and then with the first ball of his next over, he took the final wicket of the West Indian innings, that of Patrick Patterson. Hughes then removed opener Gordon Greenwich with the first ball of the West Indian second innings, and Hughes didn't even realise that he'd taken a hat-trick. Even more unusually, the two wickets in the first innings were not even off consecutive overs, as Tim May had bowled an over himself in between Merv's two deliveries and took the wicket of Gus Logie during that time. Hughes took 13 wickets for the match, but the Windies ended up winning by 169 runs and the series 3-1. January 4th, 1984, Adrian Dantley of the Utah Jazz ties Wilt Chamberlain's NBA record for most free throws made in a game by converting 28 of 29 free throws, which Wilt set in going 28 of 32 as part of his historic 100-point game in 1962. Dantley's effort came as part of a 46-point outing in Utah's 116-111 to win over Houston at Las Vegas. Now... You might have noticed I said Las Vegas. (laughs) I nearly said something. The Jazz actually sold 11 home games to Las Vegas to be played at the Thomas and Mack Center on the campus of UNLV in an attempt to drum up local support there. And well, because they were struggling financially, which was a little surprise because of how shite they were. In 1982, they actually drafted Dominic Wilkins, but he refused to go there because they were that bad. Yeah. Wow. I didn't know that. (laughs) Yeah. So the Jazz actually traded him to Atlanta for John Drew, Freeman Williams, and a million dollars worth of cash. Oh, dear. Suspend in Las Vegas? Well, <laughs> I'll tell you what. They could have done worse. But Utah Jazz fans actually used to go to the games with paper bags over their heads. It was that bad. In fact, the trip to Las Vegas was partly about a consideration of moving the team there. And there were also talks the team might move to Minnesota. And then the team was bought in 1985 by the late Larry H. Miller just seven minutes before the deadline that would have seen them move to Miami. Mm. Some interesting things did actually happen that season. So the Jazz and Bulls played off in the first game at the arena in late November of 1983. And their April 5th game against the Los Angeles Lakers saw Kareem Abdul-Jabbar break the all-time scoring record with a patented hook shot from the baseline. Had to be done. It absolutely had to be. 
The Jazz would finish five and six in Las Vegas, but would have their first winning record ever after starting their franchise with nine straight losing seasons. They'd have all-stars in Dantley and Ricky Green. Dantley led the league in scoring. Green led the league in steals. Daryl Griffith led the league in three-pointers made. And Mark Eaton led the league in blocks. They trailed Denver 2-1 in the first round, and Woody Page reported that Utah, quote, had no heart before they bounced back to win the series in five. (laughs) Of course. They would lose to Phoenix in the Western Conference Finals four games to two. That was a cracking, cracking series. I've watched a lot of highlights on that one. And uh, Dantley went 27 of 31 from the line in a two-point win over Denver earlier in the season for his next best effort. So he's very, very proficient from the free-throw line. Yeah, not good enough for the NBA 75 list. It's so funny you say that. (laughs) (laughs) Because we talked a little while back about the NBA 75 team, and I'm not sure we spoke about him as being a snub. Oh, I'm pretty sure we did. I don't remember us talking about Dantley. I'm pretty sure I brought him up. Okay, well, I apologize. No, no, look, it might not have made the cut. Just to reiterate, though, 15 seasons in the league, he had four straight 30-point-per-game seasons with Utah, averaged at least 20 in 11 of his first 12 seasons, has the 20th best career scoring average of all time, ahead of 50 of the players on the NBA at 75 times. Yeah, the deeper you dive, the worse it is, isn't it? You you can't even use a lack of team success against him because Damian Lillard's on the team and he hasn't won anything. Pete Maravich, Nate Thurmond, Lenny Wilkins, Dave Bean, Russell Westbrook. Yep. There's so many of them. So a massive, massive snub. January 6, 2018, Tennessee Titans quarterback Marcus Mariota becomes just the second quarterback in NFL history to score a touchdown off his own pass in a 22-21 victory over the Kansas City Chiefs, joining former Super Bowl winning quarterback Brad Johnson, who also managed the feat when he played for the Minnesota Vikings in 1997. This was arguably the catalyst for the seventh biggest comeback in NFL playoff history, as the Titans trailed this one 21-3 in the third quarter of a wildcard matchup before mounting an 18-point comeback against the then-Alex Smith-led Chiefs, who started the game in blistering fashion, racing to a two-touchdown lead before the first quarter had even finished. In fact, Tennessee only had one decent drive of the entire first half, which resulted in a field goal after Mariota copped one of the more brutal sacks from Derek Johnson after his line failed to protect him. Drove him back like five (laughs) yards on the sack. It was crazy good. Even though the Chiefs managed a touchdown in the final seconds of the first half, the tides arguably began to turn when tight end Travis Kelsey left late in the second quarter with a concussion. But ultimately, it was a bit of luck and maybe some poor umpiring on third and goal that led to Mariota catching his own pass to get it back to 11 after the Titans converted their point after. See, after scrambling around and out of the pocket for a while, managing to evade would-be tacklers, it was ruled that Mariota threw the pass just behind the line of scrimmage, I'm not so sure, which was then batted up by Darrell Rivas. Because Mariota was operating out of the shotgun, he could grab the ball out of the air, which he did before diving to the left pylon for the touchdown. Harrison Butker missed a field goal that hit the upright for Kansas City, and then early in the fourth, Henry rushed for 35 yards and a touchdown to make it a one-score game. With six minutes left, Eric Decker hauled in a 22-yard pass for the touchdown to give the Titans the lead, and their defense held out. Mariota was even blocking late as Henry picked up a massive first down to chew some clock, and the Titans ran it out. The fun did end there for Tennessee, though, the Titans getting destroyed the following week by the Patriots, who themselves would then lose the Super Bowl to Philly in somewhat similarly heartbreaking fashion. This week in sport history. So, Shui, you just mentioned that we, well, we're in this world of uncertainty with COVID and the NBL, aren't we? The league is in a pretty tough spot at the moment. As I said, only four games across two rounds in the last little while. 
So Yeah, look, it's unsurprisingly wreaked havoc on the schedule. We've had games postponed so far. Adelaide and Perth from the 28th of December. Brisbane and Perth from today. Adelaide, Southeast Melbourne, which was scheduled for Monday, I think, all been postponed. The Wildcats were able to play a game up in Cairns last night. which Yeah, was, so they've rejigged things. Yeah, bit. so they've, they've kind of been able to think on the fly a little bit, but I was listening to an interview with Brian Gorgian and he was saying that the Hawks were struggling to even field a team of five players at wow, one point. Wow, wow. It was that bad. So Yeah, well, the New South Wales COVID cases are pretty bad. Yeah, More than to the 20,000s. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's all over the place. I mean, we, we ended up, as I said, with like five games since we recorded last and three of them involved the Jack Jumpers. Yes, it's true. Yeah. So I thought it might actually be worth looking at what some of the options are and which ones maybe make the most sense. Yeah, yep. So I guess really the four main options and look some people will already be jumping through the microphone and yelling out no before i finish each of them so just hear me out <laughs> so the first one a lot is, changes quickly too yeah, and exactly. we will take a few days to upload this so. exactly yeah so the first one is the bubble option we've seen it in the nba where all of the teams congregate in the one area they all play in the same arena and there's no fans and it just kind of is they're a, quarantined yeah, basically. essentially they're all yeah. quarantined within a bubble yeah, and that worked well for the NBA. It did. In, in some ways. Second option is what is currently happening, the postponement side of things. So if you've got teams that can't field a game, and we've seen some of this in the NBA this season, where yes. yep. teams maybe didn't have the required eight players, so we'll postpone those games down the track. Gee, Draymond Green was not happy about the Denver one, was he? Well, he just wants to play. The third option we have is the cancellation side of things, whereby we cancel the exact same amount of games for every team, shorten the season down to a reasonable amount. And then the fourth one is the whole fuck it, just play through it. Yep. Which is, it doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter who's out. As long as you've got enough players to play, you play. Yep. And that's that. And that's, it's a tough, pretty bitter pill to swallow. And as you mentioned with Brian Gorgian, yeah, like, yeah. Gorge almost had to suit up. It would, it would be, it would be tough. It, it would, would be, be very tough. Yeah. So let's maybe maybe look at them from the, the start. So I guess for me, I'll start off with the bubble. I think personally, this is probably the least likely of the four. I kind of feel like that ship sailed. I feel like if it were going to happen, it would have already happened. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And it might have been here even. Who knows? There were a couple of pros and cons, and I'll, I'll kind of run you through what I had. So the pro side of things, look, we saw how the bubble worked for the NBA. Everyone in the same facility, no one goes in, no one goes out. It keeps the positive cases to an absolute bare minimum which would be ideal right now. Yep. And the second one, because there's no travel involved, no teams are really at a great advantage or disadvantage because they don't have to travel, um, especially if there's no fans in the arena. They don't have to sort of worry about the disadvantage of maybe a home crowd if it's in Melbourne. Well, and it was that weird playoffs where there were more away winners than home winners because it was basically a neutral venue. Exactly. So that's, that doesn't really hold true yet. So those are kind of the pros. The cons, we don't exactly have those sorts of facilities here like they have in Orlando. So creating a tight seal around the whole thing is nigh on impossible. Really. Well, the league just doesn't have as much money. Mm. The, just the money factor is huge. Yeah. And one of, the, one of the problems with that approach was that the players weren't seeing their families and stuff as much. And we heard that famous thing with the coach of the Denver Nuggets mentioning them again, Michael Malone, saying that players are allowed family. I haven't seen my family in months and months. Like, that's, yeah. And that's so funny that you bring that up because that is my second con. There's a long way to go in the yeah. season. Yeah. So it would be a lot longer away from family and friends for the players. Yeah. So I do agree. I think the ship's probably sailed on that option a long time ago. I, I don't think it is viable. It would be kind of cool if we did have something like that. But again, remembering back to watching those games in the bubble, even watching the finals, that whole 
what was okay not an amazing amazing series but it was still a very competitive series between the lakers and the heat oh it's great yeah jimmy butler but imagine what the atmosphere would have been like with, oh of course with like twenty thousand people all dressed in white that would have been such a great series to watch but yeah that lack of atmosphere probably didn't help too much no no the only way that i can potentially see them doing it is actually doing it in melbourne You've got John Kane Arena that they used for the Melbourne Cup, aka the NBL Cup last season. <laughs> I'm not going to let that go. But uh, <laughs> well, they might wish they had one of those this year because that's a, a very good way of getting games played quickly. Quickly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and th- but the other issue is the tennis. So the Melbourne teams have to leave Melbourne during tennis. True, I didn't even think about yeah, that. Yeah, so it's really complex because because this is a period where traditionally United and now the Phoenix, obviously, just been in the league for five minutes have to piss off while tennis is overtaken at Margaret Court Arena, basically, and John Kane Arena. So, And you would have said maybe Kudos Arena in Sydney might be the way to go, but apparently that's in the middle of BF nowhere. Yes, yeah, that's so, one of the issues with people getting to games, and that's so, why yeah. we have seen some empty seats at some of those King games, disappointingly, mm. yeah, already this season. So, yeah. yeah, look, Perth probably would actually be the best option, the lowest cases so far. And a pretty damn good arena for it as well. Perth, Tassie, or Adelaide probably would have been the yeah the way. Well, Adelaide's yeah. gone through the roof as well. Had- yeah, well, they, yeah, that's so, right, that's right. That's so it's right. hard to know. So I think we can put a line through the bubble. Yes. Yep. The second one, the postponement side of things. So look, there's a couple of pros for this. At least if all of the games are played, whether it's now or down the track, teams will end up playing the correct amount of home and away games, so it's easier to point to parity. Yes. And teams will, in theory, be able to field the strongest possible team if the games are put off slightly. Yes. Downside of things is it's not possible to guarantee that 100%. No. So Good intentions. Yes. They, they would absolutely have to schedule, they'd have to try and make it so that teams are playing each other regularly enough that everyone's played everyone at least twice, for example, and there's not too much of an over disproportionate you know what I'm trying to say here. I have no idea what you're trying oh, to like, say. Why, why, like, for example, last season, Perth played South East Melbourne like four of their first five games or something. Yes, okay. So you want to try and keep it as even as possible. Because I actually think the, the blend of both postponements and cancellations might actually be what happens in the end. Because we might get to the end of the season where we say, okay, look, the top four is set. Do we really want to squeeze in a game between, I don't know, the Jack Jumpers and the Taipans for argument's sake? when there's no bearings on the playoffs, I'm just guessing here. So is that potentially a possibility where hopefully everyone's played each other a fairly reasonable amount of times each, where we get to the back end where we say, look, rather than trying to squeeze in all these games, we have to say, look, sometimes a bit like what happened in the NBA in the lead up to the bubble. Mm. Yeah. I think that could be an eventuality. No, that's, that's fair. And, and the thing is, the other side of things with the postponements is that the parity of the schedule in terms of spacing and travel does come into question. Yep. Unless you kind of move the playoffs back a little bit as well. Yep. Some teams will say, oh, we had to play three games in four days or whatever it happens to be to try and squeeze them in before. And so, Which is why you'd have to consider cancelling. Do you really want a team to play three and four when they can't make the playoffs anyway? Do you know what I mean? Yes. So, But then match payments. So they'd have to work out a way where the players still receive their play their pay, even though they might not have played in the game. So yeah, it's tricky. It is it's, a tricky one. It's a nightmare, really. Cancellation side of things, which is probably the other one that we'd look at. It does give the league a chance to play out a shortened season to get the games in around the chaos, which that's the hardest part right now. Is and I, I feel for whoever's doing the scheduling right now because oh, they're 
earning every cent at it's the moment. Literally come up with something and then scrap it because it's null and void. <laughs> so they are well and truly earning their money. And this is a different type of cancellation to what I talked about as hand in hand with the postponements, because this is a cancellation where they actually would say, okay, we're cancelling the last two rounds or whatever it might be. Mm. Like it's a clear forethought decision. Yeah. Rather than a knee-jerk kind of, eh, they're not making the playoffs anyway. So. Or just making sure each team has maybe six games removed from yeah. their schedule. Yeah. So yeah. every Trying team, to get it as fair as possible. Yeah, and, and, and it would be very, very tough. The con of it basically doing that is everything about it. Shortening the season would cheapen it. Yeah, We are both massive, massive fans of Survivor. Yes. And we've just seen them go through season 41 where they've gone from 41 days down to 26 and the new product is shit. It's my least liked season of survivor going back to it was the early days it was boring yeah it was so boring yeah all of the yeah all the stuff they're trying to sort of compact into a shorter period of time it does it cheapens the product and i worry that doing that would cheapen what could be a very good season the other problem we always have with the nbl is that the playoffs often coincide with the beginning of the afl so they have this delicate tightrope to walk where they don't want the playoffs, the most important time, being cheapened by competing with another sport. Because obviously the cricket's going to wind down a little bit. The Ashes have already been won. So strategically in that sense, maybe they say, oh, do we cancel some stuff and have the playoffs as almost a standalone? It's, it, these are hard decisions. Incredibly hard. Very hard decisions. And then you've got the other one, which is just playing through it. Yep. Which... Yeah, it kind of is a little bit like injuries, I guess, in a sense. They happen. Sometimes you do just have to deal with who's on and who's off the court. It's probably a very extreme. It's pretty rough. I think what will probably happen is a combination of postponements and playing through it. So they'll play through as much as they possibly can. But if it gets to a situation where a team can only field six blokes, for example, they're going to have to postpone or maybe cancel. Maybe you move those all to the end of the season. And as I say, if they become immaterial... I keep thinking about that Melbourne versus Essendon game we talked about <laughs> in that first <laughs> AFL season. Every single yeah. week we're talking about that. And I can't even remember what happened. In the, I think they did end up playing it, but I don't think they needed to in the yeah, end as far as the I, finals were concerned. I think it was inconsequential yeah, as of like yeah. the day before it was played. Yeah. And I guess the other thing, I, I looking at the flip side of playing with it, is the big one, the dreaded asterisk talk. Yeah, well, that's inevitable. I mean, every COVID year is an asterisk year, in my opinion. But, so, but if you look at it, you know, a team that manages to avoid cases could field a very strong team. And all of a sudden, you're looking at a massive mismatch in a final series, similar to last year. Well, Perth acquitted themselves very well, considering all the injuries they had. But ultimately, they were never going to get over the top of no. Melbourne United team. No. And the NBL needs a good final series oh, after of course. last yeah, year. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's important. So yep. there's a lot well, of Well, after the last couple of years, because we had the Sydney-Perth one before that. True. So we've had two compromised final series in the last two seasons. At least that one was competitive. Oh, it was competitive, but it was compromised in another way yes. because it ended early with the Wildcats being given the championship. Like, well, they did earn it, in my opinion. But again, two consecutive compromised seasons. I mean... They're just asterisk years. 2022 will be another asterisk year. Hopefully it's the last one. And again, in my opinion, asterisk doesn't necessarily mean bad. It just means a deviation from the norm and it means that they have to make adjustments for whatever reason. But I think this could be a bad asterisk though. Oh, look, it could. It it has the potential to be a pretty bad one where it's just whoever wins it just happened to be the luckiest one that was still standing at the right time. Now, the good news. Now, nothing is certain in this world and even the scientists are scratching their heads at times. But the good news seems to be that the Omicron variant doesn't seem to be as bad as Delta. And not only that, 
if you catch the Omicron variant, you seem to not get hit with Delta. So you can catch it more than once. It's like the normal flu, I guess, in a sense. It's way worse than the normal well, flu. Benoit Pair, the French tennis player, he reckons he's caught it like 250 times. It was joking. Yeah, yeah. Like, but, but no, but you yeah, can catch it multiple times. He's caught it a lot. Yeah. But apparently if you've caught Omicron, Delta doesn't hit you hard. So hopefully this is the last year where we're compromised and it starts to become endemic rather than... It's the end of a pandemic making it endemic. Hmm. So look, it's going to be a pretty tricky start to 2022 but I'm reasonably optimistic by the end of 2022, we might be going back to normal a little bit. So what's your official verdict then? Oh, I think I think officially they probably have to steady as she goes as much as possible, but being pragmatic, having to postpone a bit, having to cancel a bit, and maybe at the end of the season they cancel some inconsequential games if they can come to an agreement where players would still get their match payments and that sort of thing. That's good. That's a, that's a, do you know what? Coming into this, I was gung-ho, play it out, just play through it. But I tell you, I think you've, you've actually persuaded me. You really have. Very good. Because I was actually looking at it, funnily enough, from the you know, Jordan flu game in inverted commas. He didn't have the flu. He got food poisoning. Hungover, yeah. Oh, yeah, no, the pizzas. Got, yeah, yeah, the pizzas. Yeah, yeah, there's yeah. No, there's, <laughs> Jordan, well, Jordan was allowed to play because it was, quote, just the flu. Yes, yeah. Sometimes getting on with it is the only way to go, and I thought maybe we'd reach that point in Australia, but I think it's a, a good point you make about, yeah, if we just find that balance between playing it out and postponement slash cancellations of inconsequential games, yeah, it's, it's a good point. It's kind of maybe the direction the NBA is heading in. And I think that's probably the, the route that the NBL needs to take. Now, this is the other really interesting thing. How many, because of the troubles that are happening in the NBA, and we noticed that Greg Munro is back. You're wearing a Joe Johnson jersey. He's back. Greg Munro is, what, the 451st player? 541. 541 yeah. is this season. Most in ever, I think. Most most ever. Yeah. 33 games in, I think it was, for the Timberwolves at the time. So um, as, as much as I want to see young basketballers reach their dream of, of making the NBA, it would be so sad if the NBL's carcass got picked and all the great players went over to the NBA this season. I don't think it will. I don't think it will either. For, for the simple reason that if you look at some of the guys, so Vic Law, for example, he's a name that's come up. He is, well, he was leading the league in scoring before yesterday. Bryce Cotton overtook him. Yep. You've got Duop Reith, who has been an, an MVP candidate in early stages. Mitch Creek, ditto. You've got Chris Golding. Chris Golding. Shooting yep. the lights out. Probably should already be in the league, went and played in summer league. Yep. You've got Robert Franks. You've got several other guys. Yep. Delhi would happily go back. Do these guys want to go over there for a 10-day contract? Well, that's the thing. But see, the thing is, apparently 10-day contracts is, in some cases, more money than you'll earn in an entire NBL season. Yeah. So... Oh, it's tricky. But I I think you're right. I think the disruption and the travel and and borders being opened and closed, it might be enough to dissuade at least maybe the Aussie-born players. But certainly for guys like Law, Reef, Creek, Golding, who are playing for teams that are going to feel like they're legitimate. And even, you know, Franks would feel like Brisbane are a chance. Well, he's a big reason why they're a chance. Yeah, Yeah. Those teams would look at it and go, well, I could go for a 10-day contract, know that I'm going to play decent minutes in a couple of games and then I'm going to sit on the bench, and then I'm going to get cut. Mm. Or I could stay over here in Australia, and especially for someone like Vic Law, stay in Perth where, at the moment, the cases are incredibly low. It could open up, but we we don't know. Well, we don't know the next time Perth will have a home game as well, of course. True. But, <laughs> but our team is taking all the right precautions. They're top of the table at the moment. Why would I go over there for, okay, a little bit more money, yes, but I'm not guaranteed anything. I think it would depend on how old you were. So the younger you are, the more like you would maybe stay in Australia. If you're like kind of 
around 30, you might go, this might be my best chance. This might be my last chance. True. So Golding, for example, if he got tapped on the shoulder, I actually think he probably should go. So it's tricky. It's tricky. It is. It's, it will be very interesting to see. And and that, that was funnily enough, one of the things I had was unless the pay they offer is ridiculous. Yeah. Which, you know, could be. I mean, I've heard some of these 10 days for guys at certain ages is 100,000. 100, yeah, yeah. Which is, it is not bad for 10 yeah. days. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. They're getting paid even if they're not. Oh, paid. it's nuts. It's, yeah. yeah, it is crazy. So yeah. I, I hope, as you say, that they don't pick it clean, but. Look, some of these guys that you're right would have to take their shot. Others maybe would stay. I mean, Bryce Cotton, for example, he wouldn't go. No, no way. you wouldn't have thought so. No way. Yeah. Because yeah. He, well, he's on that Aussie citizenship track. So citizenship track. He's got the family here that are all settled now. Perth is home. You would have thought so. So I don't see that happening. Yeah. But look, if you're Vic Law, I don't blame you if you go, but please don't. <laughs> By the way, how's this for a comparison? He's reminding me a bit of Leroy Loggins. I see a little bit of Leroy in him. Okay. He's quite tall. He's quite slender. He's got a lovely silky jump shot. He's got ice in his veins. He can also take it to the rack. I don't know. I've just seen a little bit of... Obviously, we weren't old enough to appreciate peak Leroy. Well, both of them (laughs) left-handed. Well, okay. That's maybe with a similarity. Except for Vic Law. No, I, I, yeah, I agree. He's got that silky smooth sort of look to him. I don't know. It just no, kind of occurred to me when I was enough. watching the, the Jack Jumpers game. Bloody good player. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and absolutely. Both played for Brisbane. I think that's partly why as well. So obviously the five games that have happened over the last 10 days, there haven't really been any classics where you jump up and go, oh, can't wait to watch a replay of that. Like, Yeah, so on my kind of notes, I had, do Tassie know how to win? But then, of course, they beat New Zealand by 10-odd or whatever it was, nine points. So do Tassie know how to win against anyone decent? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. It, they're a tough watch. They're a really, really hard team to watch. They only scored seven points in the fourth quarter today. Yep. They've had multiple games. Melbourne where... left the door wide open today. Yeah. Wide open. But, but, like neither team looked like they wanted to win it. They can't score. But, well, they can't hit their free throws. Late in the third and in the fourth today, they were just missing free throws left, right. And and guards, the sort of players that you would expect to be hitting these shots, like Majette, for example, or Adams, they're missing key free throws. They just they just don't know how to win. Yeah, Majette looks out of his depth. He really does. And I'll tell you what, for a point guard, there was a pass he threw today. He just telegraphed it in a close game. Mm. You can't. Passing lane, sure enough. I think it was Shaili. Someone got the steal. You can't do it. Yeah, I, I must admit, I, I'm i not saying I was like over the top high on him coming into the season, but I was expecting a lot more. And you know, I go back to our chat with the, the great guys at the Pocket Podcast, and I'll tell you what, they made the point. Well, Andrew was big on this from day one, and, the, and he's been all over it. The decision-making yeah. is question. I mean, he took 17 shots today. Clint Steindl took five. Yeah. That's your shooter. And Steindl was their best player the other day. Yep. Steindl's finally coming into a bit of form. Their captain... It's yeah, but he goes four of seventeen today. That's not the sort of decision making no, you want. No, and by the way, Magne's out too. Well, and this so, is the thing though, Magne has just—I don't think he's that good. Well, I'm starting to consider that maybe Will Magne is just not that good a player. I, I think a lot of it was on hype and on promise. Because I was surprised when he went to the NBA. I was surprised. Well, I think it was on promise. I think they thought they could turn him into a great player, and I, I don't know if it will happen. But this is the thing. He's never averaged more than 8.1 points a game in a season. 
that's not really that. Yeah, big no, of, that's that's nothing. That's not that big a stretch in the NBL. Like, no. There's a lot of guys that are pretty average that have averaged that many points. When you're that tall and athletic, you should be getting at least a handful of dunks every game. Yeah, this is it. We're expecting that team to be throwing lobs. Yeah. Drive and dish, you know, dunkers spot, all that sort of stuff. But, Definitely. But really, yeah, 8.1 and 6.1 rebounds in the 2019-20 season with Brisbane is the best that he's done. And even if you look at his field goal percentage, he's never shot more than 48.7% from the field. Mm. Yeah, this, it's, this, it's on promise. This is a guy that should not be shooting from outside five feet. Well, he, he is capable of hitting the three, he, but he should be he should be eating around the basket a lot. The bulk of his shots yeah. should be inside that key weight. Yeah. I, I just don't understand. So, yeah, I, I just honestly believe that he is he's not that good. Maybe not. So, yeah, aside from Josh Adams and these little cameos we're getting from Steinle and Fabian Krislovich, the, the chances of them scoring 75 in a game are moderately low. Yeah. Every time you yeah, turn Yeah, no, on. they are finding it difficult. It, it is a struggle to watch them. Yeah. So, yeah, hopefully we see a little bit more from them in the coming games. But, I mean... There's only so long. And obviously, look, it's their first season. We've kind of got to cut, cut on some stuff. Oh, of course. Of course. Yeah. But eventually it comes to a point where you start saying, look, you can't really get by on a team that just has heart. They've got to eventually get some talent. And I, I just think Majet's not the right answer. Knowing how to win is a key thing. And clearly New Zealand don't know how to do it. And, and I worry about Sydney too, because down the stretch, they do not tend to execute very well. Like they were excellent in that Tassie game, but they were playing Tassie. Xavier, Xavier Cooks was magnificent. Key block, hit some big shots. He looked really good in that game. But yeah. Yeah, not much else. You've got to know how to win. And you've got to know how to execute and, down the stretch. And look, Sydney is another. And there's so many teams that you, we don't really know about yet. Sydney, again, haven't played much with their, their two imports. We haven't seen much from... Sydney have been snake-bitten with injuries. Yeah. So yeah. Like Jalen yeah. Adams hasn't really played much. We haven't seen much from RJ Hunter. Yeah, Hunter's barely played. Uh, look, I'm not I'm not entirely sold on him as it being the right fit for them, but we've got to give him some It's time. hard to know. It's hard, yeah. It's, it's almost impossible to know without more time. But it, but it is, yeah. Give those two guys five, six, seven games together, see how they go. We, not everyone's going to be as lucky as some of the other teams and fine. Like Southeast Melbourne had a pretty decent start from the likes of Xavier Mumford, Joe Chi. The Wildcats had obviously a great start with in Big terms Law. of the connection with Law and yeah, Cotton yeah. and so on. And Fraser's so forth. coming along too. Yeah. yeah. Franks and Patterson over in Brisbane as yeah, well. Yeah, so big there's, raps for Franks. So yeah. there are a lot of those guys that have that good chemistry early. Yeah. We don't know from Sydney. But you're right, New Zealand was the other one you mentioned. They have been a steaming bag of shit. I just thought after last year, and look, maybe there was too much player turnover, but I thought after last year and all the resilience that they would have, I thought would have built with the COVID stuff and their depth, because even those young guys do contribute. Besson and Dieng do contribute. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's been it's been disappointing. Like, and they've lost some heartbreakers too. They've lost some close they, games. They have. But, but Besson's even been a little bit up and down. Finn Delaney's been disappointing. Yeah, Finn Delaney has been a little bit. I, was, yeah. I think we were both expecting him to be like a 18 to 20 point a game. Oh, he should be a fringe NBA guy. So but he needs to get enough shots. And like obviously, like Peyton Siva, that, yeah, that yeah. hasn't worked they, out. They, they've had some really bad luck in New Zealand. I do feel for, which is as a Wildcats fan, is a weird thing to say, yes, given our is. rivalry 10 years ago or so. Yeah. But I do feel for New Zealand and their fans. I really do. And, and a lot of this is going to come down to how good can Chasson Randall fit into that team? I mean, a little bit of a an average start. I think he was like three of 11 from the field in their game the other day. Oh, you'll give a guy a break in their first Absolutely, game. you yeah. would, yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, it's not been great. I mean, it's just, it's the defense. 
defense. They can't defend anyone. They're last in defensive efficiency. They're last in blocks. They're equal last in steals. They just, they can't keep guys in front of them. It's not really great reading and it's not great watching. No, so no. yeah, I, I think it could be a bit of a struggle. Um, obviously at the other end of the things though, I mean, Perth are two games clear at the top in terms of the win column, but you know, a lot of people played will, against a lot of poorer teams. People will argue no games against the Phoenix, the Hawks, or Melbourne United. And most of the games at home. Five out of six home. Yeah. Kansas two and two record probably has a similar ring to it. They may be playing a little bit better in their first four games than they maybe are. Yeah. So who knows? But uh, they did put up without McCall yesterday, they did put up a decent effort against the Wildcats. McCall, Machado. Oh, well, Machado's out for the season. But yeah, and, yeah. And Mirko Jerich yeah, as well. So yeah. that, that was a, a very good effort by Cairns. They yeah. were in that game right up until the last minute, basically. And even then, they probably... Yeah, basically, probably last still. couple of minutes. Yeah, yeah. So you probably look at it and say, at this stage, the Hawks and Phoenix, three and one, they're probably still the pick of the litter at the moment. They've still had ups and downs. The, the games they lost were games that they probably shouldn't have. But, you know, it's, it, it's just... It's been a hard season to grade so far. Mm. Like, mm. You just... You don't know what you're getting. Yeah, well, it's early days and hopefully it won't be too disruptive. And look, Melbourne have looked all right. Agata's playing a bit better. Jack White's reminded me of Andrew Vlahoff at times. His tenacity on the offensive boards in that Sydney game, he he had some Vlahoff-like moments. Even tonight, like there were a couple of uh, spots right at the end of that game where I thought to myself, I can see the extra three inches of vertical that he's got. Like, oh, he's, I mean, maybe, maybe forget Magne. Maybe he's the one that the attention turns oh, he, to as far as young Australian could. bigs. He yeah. could be an NBA player. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's possible. A couple of quick Twitter things, NBL facts. 2021, 196 matches, the most in a calendar year since 2007 when there were 208 games. And here's one now. I know you know the answer. Luke Travis became the first player to record four steals and four blocks in a game since David Van Dyke in 1997. David Van Dyke. Yeah, if, if you asked me to guess, I probably would have said Rashad Tucker. I would have said Crawford. Yeah, on that one. yeah. Or even like Martin Catalini. Would be a guy that would Not, maybe. Was it for the Cats though? For the Wildcats. First Wild, yeah. yeah. I don't. Yeah. He didn't really. He only had one half decent season with the Cats. Yeah. And most yeah. of his good stuff was with Adelaide. And, yeah. And I think Cairns. Cairns for, yeah, he had a fifty-one bit. with Cairns or something. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. he did finish his career in Perth though. He did, but that was, but, like, that yeah. was like the one season, and uh, we got him a ring as well. Yes. Well, he helped get us a ring again. He, the way he played against New Zealand in the semis was key. True. That's very, very true, key. Actually, yeah, very key. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but there yeah. you go. David Van Dyke. I was so excited when the Wildcats got him. I loved him with the Newcastle Falcons, but I think he only managed one season with us. Yeah, well, he was okay. He still yeah. had a lot of blocks. But yeah, just and dunks. Lots of dunks. Didn't, yeah, didn't really add much to that team in yeah. terms of making us better. Yeah. Just yep. a lot of, it's like a Hassan Whiteside sort of season. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. a lot of blocks, a lot of fancy looking plays, but then maybe not the he, team success. But a negative overall. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, obviously, moving on to the NBA, very similar sort of experience, I guess, to what we've just gone through, except on a way, way, way bigger scale. Yes, postponements left, right and centre, replacement players, that's all sorts the, of stuff. That's the big difference is the replacement players. Yeah. I had a look at a box score the other day for the Phoenix OKC game. It looked like a fucking NFL box score. You would say there was like <laughs> so many names. 17 guys listed on the bench for OKC yeah. because of all these guys in health and safety protocols. It was insane. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Josh Kiddy just entered them, I think. Yeah, Giddy's gone into it. Yeah. There, were, there were, I mean, there's so many guys. Yeah, Every yeah. time you blink, someone else is in it. It's, well, that's right. It's almost crazy when you look at a, a box score and you recognize someone in the starting five. Like, it's running rampant in the NFL, too, around playoff time, it has to be said. Yeah, that's not good. I, I actually just saw there was a, a big one today. That's right, Kirk Cousins today. Yeah. Mm. And Carson Wentz for the Colts is a bit iffy with the Colts doing well all of a sudden. So, yeah. yeah. Anyway, back to the NBA. But, 
yeah, like again, these are just some examples of guys that I've seen that have been starting games in the sort of past week or so. I had a look at one for Cleveland the other day. Dean Wade and Taco Fall. Taco Fall. Taco Fall. I mean, <laughs> you had Skylar Mays and Gorgie Jeng starting for Atlanta. Brooklyn had a game the other day that was starting five was Blake Griffin, Patty Mills, Cam Thomas, Kessler Edwards, and David Duke Jr. Mm. Like this is this is a team that went nine of forty six from three because they had shit players. And yet somehow no one's called Jamal Crawford. Yeah, well, isn't that weird? There's there's a lot more guys getting like Bismack Biombo just got called up today. So we're starting to see these. I mean, there's a... at least Bismack's been in the league fairly recently. Like the Joe Johnson one was interesting, wasn't it? And Isaiah Thomas with the Lakers. Um, Mario Chalmers. Mario Chalmers, yeah, right. I missed that one, I mean, I'll be honest. Last time he played was like 1912. Yeah, yeah, the, the, the Miami championship lot, team, basically. Well, been I mean, did he end up at Memphis? Memphis yeah. yeah. So uh, he probably hasn't played in three or four years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, wow, I, I must admit I didn't see that one. I mean, there's like Isaiah Thomas. He had his one with the Lakers, yep. and now he's playing with the Mavericks. Yep. Probably not the right fit for him. I don't think he'll get another one. But, yeah, Darren Collison, who came out of retirement, he committed two fouls on three-pointers made on consecutive possessions (laughs) against the Nets. That might never have been done before. Oh, dear. You had the aforementioned Joe Johnson, whose jersey I am wearing, and CJ Miles. It's it's crazy. Like Joe Joe Johnson still played in the league when Jordan played, I think. Joe Johnson hasn't played since the 2018 playoffs. Yeah. And CJ Miles has played 10 games in the last two years. So those are your two options in Boston. I, mm, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, well, they're just they're just filling I'll, uniforms. Here's here's one that was really surprising though for me. Lance Stevenson with I think Atlanta from memory. Do you know the craziest part about this? Lance Stevenson is 31. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well he, 31. He left the league because of off-court stuff. His issues weren't on-court issues. It feels like he's been out of the league for three yeah, years. Yeah, no, no, that is, I, I, I would have guessed a bit older than that. That is a bit surprising. It is nuts. Yeah. Him and Isaiah Thomas, they were the ones you just wonder, like, what would have happened if they hadn't left that situation mm. where they were in Isaiah's oh, circumstances? Boston, yeah, also, he with was his a, dead sister and, like, yeah. that's the, the end to his Boston career is really sad. It's disgusting. Yeah, it is really. Um, it and is. then we've got the two Aussies. Well, I say the Aussies. Guys that have played in the NBL, sorry, in the last couple of years. Cam, Cam Oliver. Oliver. So he signed with Atlanta. He actually made history, became the first player in Atlanta Hawks history to wear number 49. Yeah, there you go. So not really history, but you know. I'm, I'm amazed. He should have been on an opening day roster and he should have been on a roster all season. Well, he's had double figures in both of his yeah, games so far. He's a bloody good player. And then you've got Kiefer Sykes, who's been signed to a two-year deal with Indiana. Yeah, good on him. He's struggled a little bit in his first couple of games. It'll take him a bit of time to get his feet in the NBA, but he'll be fine. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of really notable returns, but it's it's just funny because like you know obviously how much of a stats aficionado I am. Mm. I love anything numbers, anything unusual. Stats mean fuck all this year. Absolutely nothing. I'm sort of looking at and and when I say that, I mean team stats. Individual stats still hold some semblance of of importance, but if you look at it and someone goes, oh, this team is. 29th in the league in three-point percentage. It's like, of course they are. They haven't got anyone playing yeah, for them that yeah. can shoot three-pointers. Yeah, so yep. there, there are exceptions. Like Minnesota, they've gone from being the 27th ranked defensive team last year in the league to 10th this year. That's because they have legitimately increased their defensive presence on their roster. Guys like Pat Beverly, for example. Huge. But I'm just looking at it. I'm thinking there are so many fringe guys playing huge minutes and the percentages will be down because they're not always 100% NBA caliber players. It's not a knock on these guys. I'm so happy that these guys are getting to realize their dream of playing in the NBA. 
But it's just plain fact that when guys are not as good out there and they're jacking up oh, 10, yeah, sure. 15 shots a game, absolutely, like, the league's numbers are not going to be making any sort of sense, really. So, and then we've got LeBron absolutely carrying the Lakers because no one else will play properly for them for long stretches. They have games here and there, but... Yeah. He, he just continues defies, to, to I know. blow your mind. It really does, doesn't it? He turned 37 just yesterday. Yep. Well, yesterday in inverted commas. It was the third time of the, recording. Yesterday yeah. in America. Yeah. And the man drops 43 points and 14 rebounds in less than 30 minutes in his first game as a 37-year-old. Like just, Add that to the 10-plus boards and 5-plus threes. No player's ever done it in under 30 like, minutes. Just stop it. Yeah. Just stop oh, it's it. obscene, like, isn't it? So here's the crazy thing. He became the first player to join the 36,000, 9,000, 9,000 club. If there is another member of that club before I'm done with this earth, I will eat my hat. That's <laughs> very unlikely. I will eat a bunch of hats. It's very unlikely. Well, it, it is because yeah. purely if you look at the numbers of the other eight players in the league history with 9,000 assists all time, only Chris Paul and Oscar Robertson even have 20,000 points, let alone 36,000. And dishing out assists was their bread and butter. That's what they do best. And that's not even taking into, into consideration all the rebounds as well. Yeah. Uh, he's just playing on another level. And the funny thing is, he's not even in MVP consideration right now because he's doing this for... A team that a, might not make the playoffs. A team that is below 500 yeah. and has had one of the weaker schedules so far. It's nuts. Look at this. Youngest player to reach every milestone in points from yeah. 1,000 all the way to 36,000. <laughs> and he, Well, yeah, I mean, the, the way that he's going, I had, had a look at this. 34 more games this season at 25 points a game or more would take him past Carl Malone for second all time. Yeah, that's possible. And he would be less than a season away from Kareem's record. 40,000 is still very much in play. So. Well, the Lakers being shit may be the catalyst. That, but the problem is, does it hurt the back end of his career because he's got so much mileage? Well, he, he's a physical specimen. It is amazing what he achieved. Yeah, but this just is amazing. It's a guy continues who to achieve. Knows how to look after his body. And knows, you know what? I've got to look after it for another two or three seasons at this level. And then... I'll, I'll play with Bronny. I'll play off the bench for a while. Well, yeah. And then <laughs> and then all of a sudden he can retire and enjoy himself. Go and sit in a yacht somewhere in the Bahamas with Dwayne Wade and Dean Wade. Oh, the, the banana boat. Uh, yeah. yeah <laughs> D- D- Dean Wade's not on that, by the way. <laughs> but it would be great. You know, Chris Paul and, and Carmelo Anthony and all these guys, they can just go and enjoy themselves. Speaking of the Lakers, though, of course we know they're struggling. It's so hard not to think about how the Lakers refused to include Taylor Horton Tucker in a trade to get Kyle Lowry. He's averaging 10.3 points a game and 2.6 assists, shooting 38% from the field, 22.1% from three, the worst in the history of the Lakers franchise. Mm. Jeez, you reckon they'd go back and do that in a heartbeat? God. Right, so we've got a couple of little stouches we've got to get to. First one involving Kyle Anthony Towns. So he was playing on Twitch with this guy and he's asked him a little bit about Russell Westbrook and the whole stat padding, whole stat padding thing. And he's come up with a pretty poor response. Basically said he definitely gets stats. He chases stats. I think he's a hell of a player though. I don't care what anyone says. You know how hard it is to get a triple double. You know how hard it is. And he plays hella hard. I just think sometimes he plays too quick and tries to do too much. Is it a poor response? Oh yeah. It's a factual statement. It is. But do you say that about another yeah, player? Yeah, it's the... It's the, uh... it's the very first part. He definitely gets stats. He chases stats. Fucking everyone knows that. You don't need to say it. Yeah. Like, this is just ridiculous. Yeah. No, he could have been more diplomatic. And so I'll give you two responses that have come out. So Draymond Green was the first one. 
He said, I once watched from the bench due to us beating the T-Wolves' ass. He was in the game down 20 with two minutes to go, talking about Carl Anthony Towns. Yep. Come on, man. Stop talking to people about the bros and yelling this is a brotherhood. Shake my head. Then Joel Embiid kind of went both barrels on him. Imagine talking after a 20-point loss. You hate to see it. Go ahead using that pick of me caring about losing in the second round of the playoffs. Oh, wait, you've never been there. You don't know what it's like. No, Hatboy finally won three games and he's talking. And I know you ain't talking. You've been a pussy your whole life. That's why you were treated like a bitch by you-know-who. Ain't going to put your business out, but I got facts about you. Don't get it twisted. I own you. Wow. Okay, well, the first one, the Draymond one, I mean, Carl anthony Towns isn't the coach. So if the coach has him in with two minutes left, that's not his problem. Like, And that was his He's going to play. Yeah, okay, there you go. So, yeah, you're definitely thinking on the same lines as well. Uh, yeah, I agree. Joel Embiid, incredible player, complete douchebag. Look, my thoughts on this are pretty straightforward. I obviously love it when players are happy to give open, honest answers. But at the same time, you've got to be smarter about this. Like, there's... There's comments you can make. You can say, yeah, like he goes after rebounds. He, he plays hella hard. If he just left out the bit at the start yeah, about him yeah. chasing stats. Well, it, everything's on record these days. So it's going to come it. back to bite you. Yeah. Like if you think about it, if he just sort of said he's a hell of a player, you know how hard it is to get a triple-double. He plays hella hard. You know, sometimes maybe he could slow down a little bit. That, that would come across absolutely fine. But when you say he tries to do too much, he chases stats, it's, it's not a good look. Yeah. It's true, but he probably shouldn't have said it. Yeah. Then the other one that we had was between Austin Rivers and the commentary team for the Golden State Warriors, who... They've been in the news a lot lately, the Golden State Warriors commentators. Well, again, For getting stuff wrong and for just, yeah. Just general douchebaggery. I yeah, mean, a little bit. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm not the biggest fan of Austin Rivers. I think he was a little bit overrated coming out of college. His career has been okay, mm. but... Yeah. Playing for Duke helped, I think. It, it definitely did. Yeah. yeah. And you, playing for his dad helped. We always talk about those blue chip schools. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. You're more likely to get drafted yeah. if you play for a blue chipper. But during one of the set of free throws during this game between Denver and Golden State Warriors, the, the commentators start talking about how he was maybe a little bit looked after because he was the coach's son. He yeah, was, yeah. He was a little bit overpaid, all that sort of stuff, which... I don't think is actually fair when you look at it. And Austin actually summed it up really well. He said think this kind of funny, especially since it's coming from a guy who never played a game of basketball in his life. His comments on myself and my teammate Faku way beyond disrespectful. I averaged 11, 12, and 16 points a game off the bench for a loaded Clippers team while being a two-way player, yet he called me overpaid. Do you know how many guys in the league made more than me while not doing half as much and still do now? But because of my last name, it's an easy diss and a cop-out. For sure, unprofessional. I, I agree entirely. And I will hear no Compasso bashing either. Absolutely not. Too uh, much of a fan. No, no. Yeah. Yeah, good on Austin. Got to stand up for yourself. Yeah, it's it's easy to forget that he did have that season where he averaged 16 a game. He, there was one season in particular, especially going down the stretch and into the playoffs, where he was arguably like the best sixth man in the entire league. And he is a primitive defender. He is a two-way player. So, yeah. 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 Very, yeah. very good defender. Look, unfortunately, I think the biggest thing that's held him back in his career is shot selection. A lot of this, like double jab step, yeah, step yeah. back, fade away three, and Ball like, stopping. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's not your game. You are a catch and shoot three pointer. You are a guy who can beat guys off the dribble, play in rhythm, and facilitate. But yeah. you know, if he could have done that a little bit more, maybe he would have made a little bit more money in the league as well, and not being called overpaid. I absolutely agree with him sticking up. Though. This is disgraceful. And I think wasn't it the Golden State Warriors commentary team that didn't know who Jock Landau was? 
yeah, it was actually. Like, didn't they watch the Olympics? Mm, yeah. Yeah, no, you know, they're, they're definitely on the bad list. Though, also, so. have you not watched the Spurs' last five games? Like, He's playing pretty well, yeah. Jock's yeah. playing out of his skin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're on the 2022 naughty list. Yes. Their team's playing well. The commentator's not so not much. Not so much. Finish off with one crazy stat to round out the basketball. Paddy Mills now ranks fourth all-time in three-pointers off the bench for the Brooklyn Nets. He's played 32 games yeah, for them. Yeah, again, though, I, I, I bring out this card every time, but it just goes to show how much the game has changed. 32 games. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you know, I don't suppose you know who the three guys ahead of him now. Uh, Lucius Harris. Yep. No, I've got no idea. No, okay. That would be a decent guess. Kerry Kittles, maybe. Mm, Although he would have started a fair bit. Bench. Yeah. Joe Harris might have had a few games off oh, the yeah, bench for yeah. them, possibly. Yeah. Uh, it could be all the Harrises, basically. All right, Stu, you know what that music means. What are you out for? Well, pretty keen to see how far LeBron can take his streak of 30-point games and if he can keep carrying the Lakers as well as he can. Illawarra, Melbourne United next Sunday in the NBL looks like a beauty, all going well. Indeed. And in the cricket world, the massive clash between South Zone and Central Zone in the Bangladesh Cricket League. Mm, zone. Go Zones. Go Zones. How about yourself, mate? Well, very interested to see how the college football playoffs end. Unfortunately, the Cincinnati team were unlucky, but Mason Fletcher, what a hunt, hey? And that strut afterwards. The McGregor. Uh, American football is heating up. Until next time, I'm Nath. And I'm Stu. We are the Sportplex.